Hi, this is Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters. You see, I'm wearing my Winston Zedmore jumpsuit from the movie. Okay? I have two pieces of advice. Don't go out there. And who are you going to call? In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all support. Before we get into tonight's birthday bonus episode, we just want to shout out to Brian. Happy birthday, brother. Uh, he does so much for the show, and we're excited to ah, review guy. his birthday bonus. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Coming in hot. Leave Man, it this, in. Is this is getting off to the same star as my last fucking birthday pick. Well, <laughs> at least you picked well, that, a good movie that movie. That movie fucking time. sucked, though, bud. So, so bud, you picked Happy a good birthday. one this time. Let's go. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> uh, before we get into Brian's birthday bonus, let's just shout out our website, don'tgooutthere.com. We've got all of our episodes and interviews if you want to check those out on there. We've got our store where we got some brand new t shirts if you want to grab a shirt and rep us. Uh, we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have all of our social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. We love meeting new people. We love interacting with your, uh, with all our fans and reading your questions and comments. And the last thing we'll shout out on our website is our uh, blood donors. It's, what we, it's our version of a Patreon. If you're a big fan of a movie and you want us to review it, we have the one-time donation available. And we also have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. It takes a big burden off of us. None of that money goes into our pockets. It just goes directly back into the podcast. We truly appreciate any help. Uh, tonight is Brian's birthday bonus. Uh, super excited to review this for you, brother. Brian, why don't you go ahead and announce what our movie review is tonight? So the theme month for this month is, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, it's Freelance Pick. Um, but we're going to go ahead and do my birthday pick and Freelance Pick at the same time. And I'm going to I went with uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Obviously, I picked this movie because of my sometimes overly professed love for the franchise. Uh, you know, when we did our first one for uh, Horror Comedy Month last year, I explained the first movie is, is my favorite movie of all time. You know, we, we all have our movies that we consider perfect, and that's definitely one I consider that way. So I may talk too much, but I kind of feel inclined to mention the history with this movie. I take for granted that, you know, lovers of this first movie all know all this shit, but my brother Dustin here asked me when I was trying to get him to watch this one if he needed to watch that 2016 piece of shit. So I kind of feel inclined to explain the franchise a, a little bit, you know, maybe to some of our audience and some of the history. So sit back, prepare for a little blood, sugar, sex, and magic. Hashtag Kenny Powers. <laughs> so uh, obviously we got the great movies of, of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 and 84 and 89. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis tried to get a Ghostbusters three off the ground for, for much of the 90s. Uh, but Bill Murray really wasn't on board and, and other problems plagued it, of course. So the closest we ever got was the Ghostbusters video game in 2009 where everybody returned to voice of characters and really served as kind of the definitive Ghostbusters 3 for, for probably nearly a decade. Fast forward to 2014 when the great Harold Ramis passes away, and that really kind of brought Murray, who was, who was plagued with some admitted regret, you know, because of his fractured relationship with Ramis, that, that, that they started up Ghost Corp Studio at Sony, and, and we started seeing some movement on that front. Well, we ended up with, thanks to the asshat Paul Feig, the 2016 movie, which was a complete remake, uh, he didn't want to go the sequel route, so he wanted to do his own thing. Honestly, it ended up a piece of shit because of him. The cast was great, 
but a script and everything else regarding the movie was was complete shit. So Dude, remake you're talking, bombs. You're talking pretty big for someone who literally before we started recording, you told me that was your favorite movie of all time was 2016 Ghostbusters. If you think I'm leaving that in, you're crazy. So, <laughs> so, so the. So the remake bombs, you know, Feig can't accept it and calls everyone who hates it sexist. Uh, it was a whole thing. Enter Jason Reitman, the son of director of the first two, Ivan Reitman, who rests in peace. He passed away earlier this year. He actually played the birthday kid at the start of the Ghostbusters 2, who said his dad thinks the Ghostbusters are all full of shit or crap, I think he even said in the movie. Uh, became a director himself, mostly did indie character studio uh, studies, you know, like Juno. He wrote the script for a requel, a real Ghostbusters 3, going back to the original timeline of one and two. And here we are. So let me just say this and I'll shut up. I have a lot of friends in the Ghostbusters community. You know, I respect they have differing opinions, but I absolutely love this movie. And my opinion hasn't differed a whole lot, you know, from that instant reaction show I did by myself for the release release of this thing. McKenna Grace is a fucking superstar carries this movie. Um, I do have a few nitpicks, but, but very minor. Okay. I'll go since I think, Dustin's a bigger fan of the franchise than I am, at least, as far as uh, 1 and 2, although I do like 1 and 2. Um, okay. So, peek behind the curtain. This was my first time seeing this movie. So, this is a fresh review right here. This is hot off the grill, man. I got to say, <laughs> Brian, I, I don't think this will make you mad, but I don't think it will shock you either. This is my new favorite Ghostbusters movie. I loved this movie. I thought it was the perfect mix of new and nostalgia combined together. I think the cast is outstanding. I think Paul Rudd is is kind of, you know, I'll get to a nitpick I have later, but at least he's some good, like, comedic relief. I like that they didn't have Finn Wolfhard kind of hog the screen, which I thought they may do going into it, which, you know, I mean, it's fine. But, man, McKenna Grace, fantastic. I think everybody plays their part perfect. And to get, you know, three of the original four back into this movie, use them correctly, not just as like, you know, little cameos. I mean, they played a major part and connecting the two films. Uh, I think the effects look great. They look exactly like I want a Ghostbusters effect to look. They're a little campy, but done really well. And, and, and I think it works out so great. I like this movie isn't in the city. I think it's great, you know, just kind of being in the middle of nowhere here, Somerville or whatever you want to call it. Like, I, I've, I'm i a really big fan. Like, I was not expecting to like this film as much as I did. And, I, I, man, I would need to rewatch one and two. But this has taken the top place as my favorite Ghostbusters for sure. All right, I'll go ahead and go next real quick. Um I'll be self-admitted. I'm not the biggest Ghostbusters fan on the show. I mean, it's nothing, nothing bad with the movies, nothing like that. It just isn't my particular interest. But I really did enjoy the cast of this movie. I thought the cast is great. I don't think anybody would argue that. Big fan of Finn and McKenna Grace, obviously. Paul Rudd, huge fan. Uh, love seeing all the Ghostbusters reunited at the end. Uh, I could also definitely tell how a huge fan of this this movie and franchise, et cetera, would also get teared up emotional at the very end because even I got the little, you know, goose pimples whenever Egon came back. Uh, I really don't have any complaints, honestly, about the the way the movie was made, shot, acted, et cetera. I'm just not a big fan of the content on the screen. It's nothing personal. It's just it's not my particular interest. But I do think the movie is very well made. It looks great. It's very well acted. Uh, so that's just – I'll just leave it at that. Uh, 
I'm just not. I mean, I, I don't hate the movie by any means, but I'm just. I don't know. I'm just not into the Ghostbusters thing that much. Uh, Dustin, you want to go next? Yeah, that's fine, brother. I mean, everybody has their flaws. But um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I think that Ghostbusters was the first 10 that I handed out on this show. Um, so, yeah, I love the movie, you know, the original as well. Ghostbusters 2, it's, I, I like it, but I'm not, it's not anywhere near as good as the original to me. Uh, didn't see 16 because of the reputation it had. Uh, nothing against the cast. I, I, you know, I thought that was, I, I'm all for taking chances uh, and going a different direction. I think fictional characters don't have to be, a, you know, written to a certain gender or race. That's what blows my mind when people are like, oh, Spider-Man can't be black. Yes, he can. He's not fucking real. But um, when it came to Ghostbusters, it had nothing to do with it being a female cast. I just heard the movie was dog shit, so I never watched it. Then when this one came out, I love Paul Rudd, but I was I was so skeptical. I was nervous, and so I didn't watch it for, uh, you know, it had been out for months and then Brian finally told me about it and filled me in. It's like, you'll love it. I promise. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it. And my God, do I love it. It is fantastic. The cast is awesome. Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd have just such great chemistry. I love Paul Rudd anyway. They could not have cast a better set of kids to be Egon Spengler's grandkids than Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace. Uh, Logan Kim, fantastic. His delivery um, and his comedic relief is great. I, it's, it's fantastic. And so I really enjoy this movie a lot. Um, it does. It, it's got the perfect blend for me of nostalgia and new. Sometimes movies that they want to rely on too much on what got them here. It's like, okay, we're Ghostbusters Absolutely. and we've got the originals coming back. Uh, let's shove them down everybody's throat. They don't do that in this. Sometimes they take it too far in the other direction. We're like, okay, you're getting away from your roots. They don't do that. It's the perfect blend for me. And so, man, I love this movie. This is a much better pick than last year when you made me watch Cloverfield. With oh, all due God. respect. That's, that's, that's for <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> My rating of this movie is about to be more than double of that one, buddy. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> Uh, any more opening thoughts for you to jump into the scene by scene? Brian, why are you shaking your head, brother? You all right? This is what I have to deal with is bullying all the time. Yeah, no, it, is, it is kind of funny. Like you wait uh, well after your birthday and we finally get around to doing your birthday pick and we start bullying you for your birthday pick last year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, man, hey, man, that's how it goes on this show. You know, uh, one, <laughs> one more quick thing, small nitpick. I wish this movie, and I, I almost like that it's, for all ages and family friendly. Wish this movie had a little bit more of that adult humor from the that you get from Murray and Aykroyd in the first two. Like I yeah. think if you had a, just a little bit more, it doesn't even have to be over the head. Just a little bit more of that subtle ha ha joke for the adults. I think it's missing a little bit of that, but you know that's a man. That's such a small nitpick. Yeah, and ain't it funny that the original one was rated PG? And which I guess PG thirteen didn't exist at the time, but it's rated PG and has more adult humor. This one's PG thirteen. Oh, I know. Honestly, more kid friendly. Yeah, for sure. All righty, let's jump into this scene by scene. And I did my best, brother Brian. I know this is your one of your biggest passions in life, so I hope I did it justice. 
Uh, the film starts with thunder <laughs> crashing and a beam of light. What a, what a sad life I leave. <laughs> I'm just talking about movie-wise, brother. <laughs> oh, gotcha. I don't know. Ghostbusters is... I don't know. Ghostbusters that being your biggest passion in life reminds me of that kid when he's like, chicken nuggets <laughs> is like my family. <laughs> chicken nuggets are good to me. Wow. Such it's a Curtis, man. Wife swap. Curtis, come on, buddy. Go. Best also, ever. before you go, I think it is your biggest passion because there's there's a dummy behind you with a Ghostbusters outfit on. So, you know. I don't see that. That might be an actual ghost. Who are you going to call? All right, let's go. All right, the film starts with thunder crashing and a beam of light and energy into the sky. We see a sign for Shandor Mining Company as a truck drives through the fence. The truck is flying through town and hit in the side by a ghost. It's knocked over into a cornfield and a man runs up to an old farmhouse. He flips a switch and holds the ghost catcher towards the field. The machines lose power and he goes back inside the house. He grabs a PKE meter and sits down. We see smoke fill the room as a figure forms behind the man. He's grabbed by the dog-like ghost through his chair, and the beam of energy flies away from the farm. We see the PKE meter going off under the chair. Title card. Trevor is getting his haircut as he eats breakfast, and Mom nips him with the clippers as the power flickers. She asks Phoebe what's going on, and she says she makes a great quesadilla. Knock at the door, and it's the landlord. He's here to collect rent, and she tells him she's on the way to get a check. She asks for a week to tie up the loose ends. He says he'll wait for them to leave to change locks as he puts the eviction notice on the door. We now see the family loading up their luggage and then driving through this small rural town, Somerville. They pull up to the farm where Trevor reads off Revelation 6.12, written on pieces of tin. Kind of weird. Trevor says we inherited a murder house. Callie has Phoebe break into the house as she looks around. We get POV shots from the cornfield watching the family. Phoebe picks the lock and they get inside. Callie comments on there being no photos of her. Trevor says he found a gold mine of junk outside and says the inside of the house is so much worse than he thought. The house begins to shake and they hide under the table. At least we're only here for a week, Trevor says, and Mom says, give or take. They're moving in. Phoebe finds the PKE meter but isn't sure what it is. Janine Melnitz walks in. She apologizes for her loss and she tells Callie there's no money to manage and there's quite a bit of debt. Callie asks if this place is worthless. Janine says, besides the sentimental value, the family pulls up the spinners. Trevor says he can't believe we have to spend a summer in this heat. He's now infatuated with the waitress. Callie and Phoebe talk about her making friends. Inside the restaurant, Trevor applies for a job as the employees joke around. He strikes up a conversation with Lucky about the help wanted sign. He put friendly with a smiley as his qualifications. He tells her he's 17 and he introduces himself to the cooks and they mock him having a chance with her. The waitress delivers Callie their food, and she says no one knew her father, and says he won't be missed and skates away. Trevor gets picked on more as he gets back in the car. Phoebe is in her room as the PKE meter goes off, and the chessboard suddenly falls to the floor. She picks it back up and puts the pieces back in place. Trevor is outside walking around the farm. He goes into the shed and pulls up the sheet, and we see the Ghostbusters logo as his flashlight loses power. Phoebe wakes up and sees a chess piece has been made, and she makes a retaliating move. Callie is taking her kids to school and says to Phoebe to strike up a conversation. Trevor asks her how the jokes are coming. He's dropped off a block away from work in embarrassment, and Phoebe says she hates school, but she loves learning. Gruberson asks if she's okay, and he says most everyone here isn't very bright. He wheels in a TV and says neither him or them want to be here. He puts Cujo on and tells them to enjoy. A young boy counts down and begins to narrate Phoebe's life and tells her to go. 
She tells him of her grandfather's death. That's why she's here. He had a heart attack, and they're going to pick through his rubble. They introduce themselves, and his name is Podcast. Callie is picking up some uh, some paint, and the cashier calls him the dirt farmer. He never planted seeds or watered the fields. He was a great customer, though. The classroom begins to shake, and now Phoebe asks Gruberson if he's a seismologist. She says he looks like a football coach. He now draws on the marker board of the seismology readings in Somerville. She cracks a terrible joke, and he says the town is shaking on a daily basis for no reason. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. What do you think? First off, you know how happy it makes me that you said PKE meter. Um, so right off the bat, sound design, I think this movie is phenomenal. You know, Rob Simonson was was tabbed to do the music. He And I think he did a fantastic job of kind of taking the original Bernstein themes from 84 and keeping enough to where they sound familiar, you know, to all of us Ghostbusters fans who, who have seen the original hundreds of times. You know, but I think it put a new spin on them as well. Um, obviously, we're thrown right into the shit. Not really knowing what's going on, you know, but the biggest shock to me was the shift of location. You know, this movie isn't in New York, and given how much New York, you know, played into the first two, I mean, this, I mean, the city is almost, you know, its own character in the second movie. Um, it's kind of a shocking departure, which, which I love. I've seen a lot of complaints of fan service. And I mean, yeah, they're Easter eggs galore all over the place in this, but this movie is its own, you know, it's not a rehash. And I think that if you didn't have that strong character driven story that, you know, Jason Reitman made here, I could see the complaints, but you know, right off the bat, you're shown, Hey, this isn't what you're used to. This isn't a rehash. You know, we are a completely different location. And I think, you know, I think that was a brilliant move by Jason. You know, he really made this like almost family movie, uh, that I mean, like had so much personal things in it, you know, using his own relationship with his dad, uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis's real life up and down relationship to kind of create this whole fam- family dynamic, family layered story on top of a Ghostbusters movie. Um, it's just, you know, it's such a personal touch. Yet, it's, you know, still treats the franchise with respect. I thought it was brilliantly done. Um, and the tone, you know, the tone is different. You know, there's there's less humor throughout. Um, I think it's darker. Uh, which I think personally the franchise needed overall. But like Mike said, the, 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 the humorous parts were a little too childish in some parts. Um, you know, now we touched on it at the start. Casting's elite. Carrie Coon, uh, Finn Wolfhard, and McKenna Grace have absolutely amazing chemistry. And then, you know, that's where I think Reitman's character studies like, like Juno, you know, really show through. Uh, it, again, it's, it's characters, it's relationships that seem natural. Um, you know, first that that really give this a, a very solid foundation before you start hitting the audience over the head with scientific, you know, Ghostbuster mumbo jumbo shit. Um, Paul Rudd, I've said before, you know, I love everything he's ever been in. He plays one role and it's Paul Rudd and I love it. Um, fun fact, I think, he, you know, I've mentioned this in my instant reaction video, but he actually was asked to reprise his Halloween six role as Tommy Doyle in Halloween ends but chose to take this role instead, which I think was the right choice all around. Uh, lastly, you know, there's little Easter eggs all over the place in this set of scenes. It's it's the the Revelation Bible verse, you know, the same one Winston and Ray said in Ghostbusters 1, um, the same one we get later tattooed on Ray's forearm. That's that's the biggest one uh, because of the themes of this movie. <clears throat> you know, it's it's the coming of the end of the world with Gozer, you know, that they, they only really touched on in the first movie. Also, I love seeing Janine again. Only nitpick here is that I wish she would have gotten a little bit more screen time as well as Celeste O'Connor's uh, Lucky, I, I, which I hope that, that she gets more screen time, and I hope that all happens more in the sequel. 
Uh, I get that this one is very much a family story about Callie, Trevor, and Phoebe, and really connecting with the past, which works, you know, both in the movie and in real life. Yeah, I look right from the you know get go. We had the thunder, you know, crashing, or excuse me, the lightning crashing, and everything. Like great sound pulls me right in. I want to know what's going on. Uh, I love this Oklahoma setting. I love that they get away from New York. I, you know, you mentioned it being a character on its own in the second one. That's completely true. How many times can you tell the same story? We've all come on here and complained about horror movies that do that, whether that be, you know, Halloween has to be in Haddonfield. It, it, it has to have Laurie Strode and, and, you know, some of the Jason movies early on kind of have to go to Camp Crystal Lake. How many times can you tell the same story? I love that this is a departure. I think it, it it's perfect, man. Um, I love that they've connected the two films through the Spanglers. Like, I think, you know, being the grandkids of Egon was perfect. I mean, a perfect way to tie Harold Ramis, especially since he's passed. And, you know, you mentioned the family dynamic, Brian. I noticed that too. It kind of had the same real life feel that, you know, this Ghostbusters crew had where like, there's some definitely some, some separation as the years went on. And man, I know there were rough times with Ramis and Murray, but there's been rough times for Murray and Dan Aykroyd where they weren't speaking either. Like there, you know, there's just a lot of, of stuff interwoven from real life in this story. But I think I, man, again, I love this casting. I think Finn Wolfhard, again, does his part really well. He's the one character I wish that we could have gotten a little more of a deeper connection to uh, as far as his ability. The only real character development you get throughout them is that he likes a girl. Well, okay, that's fine. But McKenna Grace's Phoebe is just fantastic. Like, I need two to three more movies about this character right now. Like I, I think she's so interesting. I love how she's different from her mom. She's different from her brother. It God, it just works so freaking well. And again, I love Paul Rudd. You mentioned he's Paul Rudd and everything he's in. That's very true. Um, I'm I'm also glad he picked this movie over Halloween Kills because Gruberson dies tonight. Doesn't have the same ring to it, man. It does not have this. now. I wish Halloween. I wish Halloween Kills had come out before this movie, so you could have snuck Evil Dies tonight into one of his lines at the end here. Like I think that would have been so such a good on the nose little thing. Um, I love the, that our two main characters are scientists. Like I like that that's their connection. I think it's you know really really cool. Uh, and I again I love that they just take this family after getting evicted, and now they're here in the middle of. The- where I like the line about uh, how he's the best dirt farmer ever. Like, I think that's uh, like, that's a really good line. Big fan of it. Um, look, man, all in all, this movie has, or this opening set here has a lot of dialogue. So there's not like a whole lot that like that happens, but you get some really good character development with the mom, with Phoebe. And I love, you know, I've seen, uh, Brian, you tell me, and I've looked it up you know, a little bit earlier today. But a lot of people were split on the character of podcast. I was a fan. He added yeah. a little bit of comedic relief to Dark Times yeah. in the movie. I and I, I think it worked well. Now, he's not like my favorite character ever, but he's funny. He, 
And I, yeah. uh, uh, Logan Kim plays the part really well. So, yeah, I really yeah. like the set of scenes. Hooks me right into the movie. And what this movie does better than I think, especially Ghostbusters 2, is tell a story. Like, there's a really good narrative yeah. plot yeah. here with these characters, and I really like it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the opening set is a, a phenomenal set of scenes. I mean, uh, first of all, I think that the opening was shot brilliantly. I mean, it's a great way to shoot. If you want to involve Spengler, obviously Harold Ramis's past, that, that's great. We don't get a clear view of him, but we come to find out that that was Egon driving and haul-assing through the fields and everything. I think that was a great way of shooting. I mean, you didn't have to show his face. You just kind of show a silhouette, and uh, that was fantastic. And I mentioned it before, but it bears mentioning again, great casting for Spengler's grandkids. Holy cow. Like you couldn't get any more perfect. And those two could pass as siblings regardless of who their grandfather is. Like in another yeah. movie, that's not Ghostbusters. They, that's just great casting right there. Right. Um, I think they do a great job of catching us up on the family dynamic and introducing us to the new main characters. Um, it, it's some, you know, that's a tricky thing. Some movies nail it. Some movies don't. They try to do flashbacks or they do a montage or they, uh, force a story upon us and like some very unnatural dialogue. This movie nails it. It's a great job of catching us up to speed. Um, when they get to Spengler's house, you know, the dirt farm there, seeing Janine, man, that was awesome. That's just like just a rush of nostalgia. Love that. Love seeing her. Um, I like the line when she's like, uh, You mean he left us nothing? And Janine's like, I wouldn't say that. There's quite a bit of debt. That was a fantastic line. That was awesome. Um, I mentioned before how I love Paul Rudd, man, like in everything. He's he's great. Yeah, I think he's severely underrated, underappreciated. Uh, Ant-Man and Ant-Man uh, and The Wasp are two of my favorite Marvel movies because of him. Yes. So uh, fantastic there. And you already touched on him turning down Halloween Kills, reprising that role. Smart choice because this movie's fucking awesome um podcast like i said i don't or like you said mike i don't get the uh the hate either i think he's a very charming character he's a very likable kid uh he's got this sweet innocence about him that brings a, a nice uh light feel to some heavy situations great there um one of another fantastic line is when um phoebe's talking to gruberman and she makes the geometry joke she's like i thought you were just being obtuse and she winks like oh my god her sense of humor like her delivery is so dry i love her i fell in love with that character she is fantastic but uh overall i mean it's a great set of scenes great opening set of scenes like you mentioned mike um with it there being an actual story here jason reitman i'm not sure if you touched on this when you were talking brian or not um i didn't hear all of it but um jason reitman you know he didn't want to do star uh, Ghostbusters for so long because of the strained relationship he had with his father. And so he incorporated that like, this is a very real story to him right. uh, with Spengler and um, Callie's uh, relationship. And so I, I couldn't, I can't speak high enough of this movie, especially the open set of scenes. All right. Trevor is freezing, counting inventory. Lucky says his lips are blue and offers her hoodie. It's masculine and has a wolf on it. He tries it on and she says it's her boyfriend's and he goes to take it off and she walks away. Podcast is asking Phoebe about herself and asks for a joke as he records the conversation. 
He laughs at her polar bear joke, and he drops a fun fact DGOT style. He says the movie theater is haunted, and she says she doesn't believe in ghosts or spirits, and says we're meat puppets. There's something you need to see. I'll grab my wheels, podcast says. Are we allowed to be here, Phoebe asks. They're at the mines. Podcast says they up and close because all the miners are leaping to their death. The Shandorian curse. Phoebe asks who built these, and podcast says, whoever you believe, they just showed up. Trevor unveils the old Ghostbusters wagon and calls it a shitbox. Phoebe asks podcasts about his show, and he describes it, and she says maybe she'll check it out. He gives her a flash drive and says it finds its footing around episode 46. He asks her to be his lab partner, and she says yes. She gets to her house, and he grabs his phone and begins recording in case her body is pulled apart, pulled apart by an unseen dark force. Nighttime now, and she brushes her teeth and sees another chest move has been made, and she makes her turn. She now witnesses the piece move on its own. She's playing chess with an unseen figure and the PKE meter goes off. She says hello and her door opens up. She follows the meter downstairs and a light turns on giving her a clue where to go. A chair slides underneath her and she looks down at the floor. She begins moving pieces around and finds a hidden compartment and in it is a ghost catcher. Back to school and they're watching Child's Play. Gruberson says this is a killer replica. He's surprised Podcast doesn't know what it is. He looks at it closely and sees something leak out and go back inside. He says, is this real? Phoebe says she found it in her living room and asks about New York. Gruberson shows them highlights from the Ghostbusters in New York. He wonders if it still works. They're outside now and he passes out safety glasses and they hook it to a bus battery. He says it's probably not safe. Science is reckless. Bus is cranked up, but nothing. Gruberson works the pedal, but nothing. He walks up to the catcher and touches it and a ghost escapes and speeds to the mines. Yes, Podcast yells. We should get out of here, Gruberson says. Podcast says your grandfather was a ghostbuster. Gruberson is taking the kids to the dirt farm now. Podcast narrates on the house as they enter. He says the smell of evil is prominent. Gruberson says he digs it. Aztec death whistle has got a horrifying sound as Podcast uses it. He has to keep it as Callie says hi to Gruberson. He confesses he's always been curious to what's in here. Phoebe and Podcast stare at them as they flirt low-key. Podcast says he wants to bone your mom, and Phoebe says it bothers her, but she doesn't show emotions. <laughs> Podcast flips through a book and asks if that's what we saw earlier. He begins to read, and he says the name Gozer, and is protected by the gatekeeper and keymaster. We now see Trevor asking if the floor has ever been cleaned, and Lucky says they're going to the mountain and ask if he's coming. Beautiful scenery as they drive up. Trevor and Lucky sit together, and they laugh. He asks why she brought him up here. Entertainment, she says, and she asks why is he here. He confesses they're broke and have nowhere to go. He asks why she here, and she says she's fourth generation dump. Their seat begins to shake, and they hear the name Gozer said in a low, rumbly voice as a beam of energy shoots up the well. All right, Brian, that was the next set of scenes we got. What would you think? So something I didn't touch on that I really wanted to in that last set of scenes, and, you know, this really explains what this movie really is about on both the movie level and the real-life level. Uh, so to prepare for their roles, Kuhn and Grace were asked to read Violet Ramis, uh, Ramis Steele's autobiography, Ghostbusters Daughter, Life with My Dad, Harold Ramis. As of course, you know, much of their characterizations are inspired from that book. Jason Reitman, you know, credited Ramis Steele as, as one of the key persons and who gave the blessing to get this sequel off the ground. You know, it's just the many levels that this movie works on that I love so much. And, uh, you know, speaking of meta and you brought him up, we're talking about a character named Podcast on a podcast while he says, 
fun fact to Phoebe during this set of scenes while I'm currently giving a fun fact. So there you go. Mind blown a little bit. Um, but yeah, so the, the writing is just so good between the characters, you know, all of them. The first time I watched it, I, I agree with you guys. I wasn't sure how I felt about podcast, but, you know, upon subsequent viewings, you know, I love the dude now. You know, Logan Kim, I think, does a great job, in my opinion. He's definitely the Ray stance of the of the new crew. Um, you know, I, I love the Chucky cameo here on the TV, you know, in this scene with with Gruberson and the trap and, you know, kind of explaining the Ghostbusters in the 80s. You know, that, that was all in the trailer, but man, it gave me a chill bumps the first time I watched it, you know, and still, even when I watch it again, I thought it was a brilliant way of explaining it to kind of to a new generation that may be watching the movie, but also to the new generation of characters in the movie. Um, you know, some of the scenes they're watching on YouTube are, are actually some unused footage from the first movie, which is even cooler to me, you know, and how Gruberson finds out her mom is single is so like slyly and just, just natural, like, you know. And I love the line, you know, how do you of all people not know this? And podcast just quickly, I'm ashamed. Like, I don't know. I love it. It kind of reminds me of just, you know, some, some stuff we've said back and forth. But lastly, great jump scare with the terror dog escaping the trap. That's another thing too. Like the effects in this, I think look great. You know, there's not one single effect in this movie, CG or practical, which they used a lot of practical effects. Uh, but I don't think any of them, there's not one that I think looks bad. You know, Easter egg here with the symmetrical book stacking in the living room, reference to the opening scene in the first in the first Ghostbusters. You know, another great group of scenes to me. Uh, most of the comedy I think is in this group here. Um, yeah. I kind of go I, and I kind of go back and forth with the Trevor and uh, and Lucky thing. I don't know another great jump scare with the spirit flying up in the mind, you know, and scaring them. But their relationship kind of seems forced. You know, sometimes it feels fine. I don't know. I'm still up in the air on that. But the uh, but the jump scare, I can't think of a better one in any of the previous two movies. Um, there's one part in Ghostbusters two when Winston's like, you know, in the in the mines. But that's the only thing that comes close to to even close to as creepy, you know, in the previous ones. Go ahead, man. Yeah, I will say if there is a dip in this film, it's this set right here, and it's a very minor one. Like it, it's just a little bit more character development and some good dialogue. But <laughs> first of all. My man Trevor, I don't know where you live, but you can't be out here counting these frozen hamburger patties with n no gloves. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> Wait, where's a motherfucking glove? Can't be touching people's hamburger meat with your nasty ass hands, man. Come on. Especially in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. No offense. I'm just saying. Um, no, nah, man. I, you know, I'm with you on the Trevor and Lucky thing. Like, it's just not my favorite uh, thing they've decided to do but let me just tell you something the on-screen chemistry of mckenna grace and paul rudd is awesome like i love the like duo of gruberson and phoebe but yeah yeah one romance i did actually enjoy and i've seen some kind of split on this as well is gruberson and the mom like i i i think that's exactly that's what it needs to be like i think it works uh, Paul Rudd is actually the best comedic relief that we get. Some of the one-liners he drops, the banter back and forth that you get here with Phoebe, I think is really good. Um, and, and again, I didn't. This is the set of scenes I just didn't take many notes on uh, because after this is where the movie just seals it for me. You know, we get a lot more of the like, all right, stuff's happening. But I think it's you know my favorite part of this set of scenes is when they go when Gerberson goes in the house 
Like he could just almost yeah. tell he's like a kid in a candy store. Like, <laughs> he, like he, like I don't know if he, like he, like he doesn't quite know where he is, but he knows he's somewhere that's like really, really cool. And like, or to him anyway. So, I I will say you get the discovery of, um, of Egon, you know some of Egon's old tools and stuff. Like, it, you know, you get like the first quote unquote appearance of of our uh, of our you know, monsters, you know, ghosts, if you will. So a lot happens, but it, I mean, I think if there is a dip and it's a small one, because as soon as they go inside uh, Egon's house, it picks right back up. Like it is just, I'm all in. So um, that's pretty much all I had. I think this the, the set of scenes is probably the only set that kind of like not lost my interest, but I was like, all right, let's, 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 let's get to the ghost busting here, man. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I didn't take much notes on this set of scenes either, but I think this was uh, just kind of some necessary story advancement, um, but not much there to break down. Uh, I did like the dead polar bear bear joke just because her delivery when she, you know, she's like, uh, doesn't matter what you call it, it's dead. Um, So like her delivery is great. I like the chess pieces moving on their own and playing her in, in a game of chess on her own. It's a great optic, but it's also a cool way to, introduce us to you know what's going on letting us know that egon's there um showing child's play in class makes him the best teacher ever <laughs> right like these kids are not old enough to watch an r-rated <laughs> movie like that that's awesome i love it um we did get a real holy shit moment when they opened the trap first of all it's hilarious how they did it like he gives them you know crappy uh safety goggles that won't do anything and uh he's got him cranking up the bus to to power it blows the windows out and he's like we got to get out of here and he's like but you're an adult and he goes yeah i'm liable like i love that 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 scene was was great um and then last thing i put was you know you mentioned mike how some people didn't necessarily care for gruberson and callie i love their relationship in this movie the dynamic is there like they've got just such great chemistry uh, between Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon, like it really translated nicely, and you could tell like she's got self-esteem issues and she's got a lot of baggage with her, and he's just doesn't care. He's interested in her, loves her kids already, and so like I love the dynamic there. And uh, like I said, just not a lot to break down in this set of scenes, but it was necessary to the overall uh, storyline. Gruberson asked about a map, and he says it's ancient. It's of summer it's of Somerville, but it's only a one hundred year old town. He asks to keep it and wonders if Phoebe would want any of this. She's outside walking around with a PKE meter and is pulling her to the shed. She slides down the pole and the lights begin to turn on in the room. She scopes the place out and she finds the Ghostbusters uniforms. She finds glasses and a Nestle Crunch wrapper. She looks through the glasses and a light shines at her. She finds a proton pack and she notes two of the CRT emitters are missing. She puts it back together and the light points at all of his degrees. She asks for needle nose pliers now. Phoebe is in bed now eating popcorn and watching Ghostbusters on YouTube. She slams her laptop shut when her mom walks in. She asks her what kind of scientist was Grandpa. Callie tells Phoebe she's she's going to grab dinner with Mr. Gruberson and tells her goodnight. And Phoebe says don't be yourself. Phoebe writes down the Ghostbusters number. She and Podcast set up some bottles to shoot as Phoebe puts on the proton pack. She says she met her grandfather last night, kinda, and he showed her how to fix it. Podcast turns the proton pack on and podcast records. 
She blasts the pack and podcast says the best thing he's ever seen. Podcast says, podcast says it's his turn as they hear a growling and rumbling noise. The two head towards the noise and inside the factory. Podcast says he has to come back for his Halloween episode. Sounds like something we would do, honestly. They stop when they hear wailing noises but keep walking. They spot a ghost and podcast makes a noise getting the ghost's attention. Podcast uses the Aztec whistle and the ghost spits metal at them. Phoebe shoots it with a proton pack and tells podcast to get the trap. She's got him, but he's fumbling with the trap. The ghost escapes. Back to Trevor, who is working on the car and manages to get it crunk up. He drives like a madman through some fields and leaps a hill onto the road where Phoebe and Podcast are. They get in the car and drive away. We're at dinner with Callie and Gary, and he tells of Oklahoma's earthquakes. She says she has an allergy to science. He asks why doesn't she like science. Gary says he sounds like a dirtbag when she brings up her ex, and she hopes Phoebe has turned out okay. Gary says she's awesome and Callie is a great mom. Phoebe says the 1980s ghost attacks were real and she tells Trevor their grandfather was Egon Spangler and they hear on a radio that an animal has attacked the truck. They call it a muncher. Trevor asks what should he be looking for. They drive through the city and find the muncher eating on the fire hydrant. It's a free-floating metal muncher. Phoebe ejects the gunner seat and tells Trevor to chase after it. She shoots the proton pack at it but misses. The ghost shoots metal at them as they keep pursuit. She catches it with a proton pack and yells to trap him. Podcast ejects the remote car with the trap. Trevor swerves, missing a work truck, and Phoebe shoots the spinner sign, and the ghost gets away. They keep chasing after it towards the mountain. She ejects the gunner seat again and hits the ghost with the proton pack. Podcast begins trapping the ghost, and they're successful, but Trevor scrapes the side of the wagon on the bridge. They come to a stop, and he asks, what was that? We just caught a ghost, and Podcast hugs Phoebe. Trevor says he was here last night. Police lights are behind them, and now they're in jail. Trevor tells them about what happened, and he heard something say Gozer. Lucky says he speaks the truth. Sheriff says not to mess with his inmates, and Phoebe asks if they get a phone call. Sheriff says, sure do. Who you gonna call? All right, go ahead, Brian. That's the next set of scenes we got. So, so, so many Easter eggs at the start of this set of scenes when Phoebe finds Egon's lab. You know, still not quite sure why there's a fireman's pole down to it or why it's so far underground, but who fucking cares? Why isn't there a fire pole in everybody's house? That's fucking awesome. Um, you know, we see the spores, molds, and fungus that Egon refers to by one line in the first one when Janine asks him, you know, what he does for fun. You know, we saw the flight suits, obviously. But I got to ask Jason, why is there no Ghostbusters 2 dark gray flight suits in there, brother? Would have been even cooler. Um, the Nestle Crunch bar wrapper, I thought was a little bit over the top, I think. You know, you know, reference to the first one when uh, when Vankman gives him that one as like a joke for his Ghostbusting idea. You know, that's the one thing to me I'll say that, that stood out personally is just, okay, all right, maybe that, that's a little bit too much. Um, a piece of equipment in there, too as an Easter egg that the, that the Dean rolled out of their office in the first one, when they were booting them out of Columbia university, um, the brain bra brain map reference to the first one where, uh, where Peter says, you know, he's trying to, that Econ's tried to drill a hole in his head before. Um, there's probably so many more I'm missing too. Just, you know, and, and something else I go back and forth on is, is how they portrayed the ghost Egon showing Phoebe everything. Like, like it came across a little hokey, but like, I don't, but honestly, what else could they have done? I mean, Ghost Egon here would have been awesome, pointing to stuff maybe, but but you can't take away that big reveal at the end. So I'm not sure how you, how you would have done this another way. Um, you know, her just figuring it out kind of seems like a stretch too. So I don't know. Um, but jumping to her watching more YouTube videos and seeing the commercial again was cool. 
And uh, the don't be yourself joke coming back into play, I thought was great writing. Um, you know, also love seeing some some different aspects of the equipment that we never got to see in the first two, uh, like the Polaroid uh, ecto goggles. Um, you know, Polaroid, like I said earlier, podcast is definitely the the Ray stance of this new cast, and I mean, he's just he's great, he's great. Um, now the Muncher scene, I can give or take. Like to me, it's supposed to be. You know, I'm sure it's it's supposed to reference the the Slimer scene in the first one. Um, you know, and it had the creepiness of the hotel the hotel bus, but, but I think it's just, I think it's just the design of Muncher maybe that I didn't really care for. I don't know. It's maybe it was a little too cartoony to me. Not that Slimer wasn't. So maybe that's just kind of dumb for me to say, but I don't know. It's, it's the thing I think that they missed on design wise um, for, for the most part for this movie, but, but it led to a great sequence, you know, through the town um, kind of the introduction of all of this stuff to who is obviously going to take the business over moving forward. So of course, you know, I, I can be more, than forgiving uh, when it comes to anything that that a little nitpick at, but but backing up Trevor's joy ride through the field, I think it's a beautiful shot. Um, the music choice there, I thought was perfect. And uh, so, fun fact, and the last thing I'll say, the car that they use for this movie isn't the one from the first one. Um, that one has actually been like meticulously restored, so it's beautiful. There's a whole episode on YouTube about it. Um, but this car is actually the one that's used in X01A in the second film. Um, it's kind of just been sitting on the universal back lot, you know, rusting out. Um, and so they kind of repurposed it for this car. Um, so as you can imagine, there's not a lot of 1959 Cadillac ambulances laying around. So no. um, anyway, I thought it was a little cool little, cool little tidbit. Good one. Okay. So my, right off the bat, one of my favorite com- like comedic moments in this whole movie is when Paul Rudd is just fascinated by this old ass map. <laughs> And the mom could not give two shits about what he's talking about. Like it, I don't know. Like I love the way they feed off of each other. Like I think, golly, I love their chemistry. Um, I really like pretty much everything in this set of scenes. Like I love uh, again the like discovery of all these uh, of all these tools and you know how Egon's kind of guiding her through. Like I, by the way, I love the firefighter pole. Like I think. Just for like that effect, that like dramatic effect, like have to slide down to get to this room with all this stuff. Like I don't know, like I think it works really well. It's not. It's awesome. It's, it's campy in the right way. Um, and again, I love the way they. Inco- I'm really glad they went this direction and just using the old tools. Like they didn't come up with some big new contraption to catch these ghosts. Like oh, these are the same ones from 1984. Um, and I man, I really like that and. I love the way the effects look. Like I think everything in the car scene or like the really, really long car scene where they're trying to catch this ghost, I think works so well. Like I know you talked about Muncher and it's a little comedic, but like, again, so is Slimer. Right. Right. You know, like, like it, I mean, Muncher almost kind of looks like the fat ghost from Casper. I was just going to say fun fact about Casper. Ray Stance was in there as Ghostbuster. There you go. So true, true. Okay, there you go. So uh, I haven't seen Casper in a long time. That's something we'll <laughs> we'll re- we're gonna do that movie one day, even though there's nothing scary about it. But um, so I I love everything here in the car. Like I think everyone plays their part perfectly, and I'm really glad that you didn't get this like really drawn out scene where 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 Finn Wolfhard's Finn Wolf if, if I could speak tonight. Finn Wolfhard's character, you know, in a typical horror movie, 
you get that like long drawn out process where nobody believes the main two characters yeah and blah 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 you just don't get that here he just kind of like all right i'm the driver let's go like i right. really again love the chemistry with those three in the car like first of all podcast my man my man you gotta when you have a chance to trap one you gotta do it yeah do it right man it's caused destruction to the whole town because of you <laughs> motherfucker damn hurry the hell up but uh i think the effects all look great in this set of scenes um i'm not gonna lie he drives about as bad as i do so you know good on him i guess <laughs> no man i now i will say that once they get caught and they're in the cell um i love the sheriff's line who are you gonna call that is that is the right way to use that line in this film. Like, I think it, you know, and they didn't overdo it. You know, it, it's sure hell, it sure as hell isn't evil dies tonight. You know, where it's this same thing you could go back to over and over again. Yeah. Or, you know how in Halloween 18, you get some of the, like, Laurie Strode lines from 78, and you get the, I wish I had you all alone. But, but, like, you get that, but it's not overkill in that movie. It's the same thing here. Like, him just dropping that, who you gonna call? Love it. I think it worked great. Love this set of scenes. This is a set of scenes that made me go, oh, right. This movie's fucking badass. Let's go. Yeah. Um, it's another, like, this, I agree. This is where it picks up. This is a great set of scenes. Um, first of all, Gruberson and Podcast are both way too comfortable asking to keep stuff from this house. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's a little tacky. This woman just lost her fan, her father. Kids lost their grandfather, and they're both like, can I keep this? Like, come on, man. Have some tact. Um, these kids are fucking brave, though. Like, they hear no noises that are weird, and they're like, oh, let's go into this abandoned warehouse. And then they see a ghost, and they just move towards it. Then the thing's spitting bullets at them. Like, these are some warriors, man. This is like uh, Velma from Scooby-Doo's origin story. She didn't back down for shit. Um, nice. I love how the man just starts haul assing from the field and into the road. Like he's 15 somehow figured out how to work on a car and start it up. And first of all, the gas is good first, you know, come on. Gas doesn't last. Gas goes bad. It doesn't last forever. So if the car has been sitting for as long as that one appears to have been sitting, I doubt that the gas would still be good and it would start, but that's, that's there's that's a, so there's cool. a deleted scene of him putting gas into it. No, no, is it really? Or are you just, no, fucking, just fucking with me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the fact that he, uh, you know, in, in sidebar, anytime I see someone like working on a car in a barn, my mind goes back to Ninja Turtles when Casey Jones and Donatello were working on the van. <laughs> like, nice. Gack face. But um, so anyway, like he works on it and then he just hauls ass through the field and into the road, reckless endangerment. And then Phoebe and podcast are like, yeah, we'll get in this car with you. Like, hell no, I'm not getting in that car. But um, I did think it was it was funny and ironic, like great storytelling when we go to uh, Callie and Gruberson at dinner. And she's like, you know, I just wish she would have some fun, get into some trouble. Boy, howdy, did she get in some trouble? Because after destroying that much of the city, uh, that much of that small town, she's never going to financially recover from that. <laughs> but um, And then you mentioned the sheriff there. Joaquin Woodbine, shout out to him. For years, he's been known as like the evil Dave Chappelle. He kind of looks like he could be Dave Chappelle's evil twin brother. 
but um, <laughs> underrated actor. I, he's enjoyable and everything. His delivery in this movie with his lines are great. And so, yeah, just a great set of scenes. The action really ticks up, and I'm on the edge of my seat. Phoebe calls a number from the Ghostbusters YouTube video. Ray answers, and Phoebe asks if he's Ray the Ghostbuster. He says Egon can rot in hell. She says he died last week. He says, no kidding. He now tells her they were friends a long time ago. People believed in us, but business got slow. They lost their firehouse, and he tells Phoebe where the other Ghostbusters went. He now tells her one day everything was gone. He cleaned us out. He told Ray of a rising storm that was going to consume humans and darkness forever. He says there's lots of ancient mountains with carvings, and the sheriff hangs up on them. Callie asks where her kids are. Sheriff walks out naming off their crimes and points at the proton pack. Gruberson says they could have really hurt themselves as he eyeballs the proton pack. He asks if she caught anything. Phoebe says she caught a ghost tonight and asks about their stuff. She grabs the proton pack and aims it at the sheriff. Callie grabs it from her and says to keep it. Go now, she tells Phoebe. Gary points at the proton pack and walks out. They're all back at the farm, and Callie apologizes the night went sideways. He says, we had Kung Pao shrimp. We went to jail. I don't know how to top this. She gives him a kiss on the cheek and walks inside. He asks if the kids want some of this unrefrigerated shrimp. Phoebe tells her mom she doesn't understand. Don't you think your father came here for a reason? She says he left his family and partners to a town no one cares about. Phoebe says he loves science, like me. Why didn't you tell me my grandfather was Egon Spengler? Callie says he never cared about me. He's not nuts. Well, he's an asshole, Callie says. Thunder rumbles and the ancient statue begins to crack, and we see its red eyes. The ghost flies into Walmart where Gruberson is getting ice cream, and he hears a woman scream. He now goes to get some toppings, and he sees the marshmallow bag squirming around. A little marshmallow man emerges and falls over. Gruberson waves at it and pokes its belly and now bites his finger, and now there are hundreds of these little marshmallow men. He walks away now as we see some roasted marshmallow men and then making s'mores out of themselves. One's now in a blender doing like indoor skydiving. Gary walks up on a terror dog, and it makes eye contact with him. Gruberson throws the ice cream at him and takes off running. He runs outside and makes it to his car, but the terror dog is on his hood and flattens a tire and roars at Gruberson. Trevor asks about the map, and Phoebe says something's happening in the mines. Gozer was a Sumerian god who walked amongst the living, a soul-eating, flame-eating deity of evil. Phoebe asks about Evo Shandor. Lucky says he built this whole town. He's the same guy who built the haunted apartment in New York. They take the shaft down, and Phoebe tells more jokes. We see terror dog statues and a Gozer statue. They find another hole, and Podcast calls it a sacrificial death pit. Phoebe snitches on Trevor, revealing he's 15, not 17. Podcast finds a body in a casket. It's Evo Shandor. He's been there for 75 years. Phoebe points out years etched on the wall, and they name off major events. Phoebe says it's a countdown as we hear more growling noises. Phoebe looks down the death pit, and we see what looks like lava moving up and hands reaching out of it. Proton packs kick on and begin shooting it into the death pit. Evo wakes up, and Trevor pulls her away from the pit. The proton beams turn off, and Lucky asks Trevor if he's okay. Phoebe says Grandpa was right all along. He was standing guard when no one believed him. He sacrificed his life, his friends, us. We need to tell Mom. Callie goes into Phoebe's room and grabs the PKE meter and it directs her to the shed. Callie takes the pole down into the secret computer room. Egon uses the light to show her pictures of her and the wall full of pictures of her and newspaper articles on her. 
Smoke fills the room as a terror dog attacks her. The four kids are back, and Phoebe finds her mom on the chair, and she says, there is no mom, only Zool, she says with bright red eyes, and she breathes heavy. Callie barks at Podcast and asks him if he's the key master and rubs his face. She hides behind the chair, and we now see Gruberson moving the proton beams. The town shakes violently. Callie jumps out the window and runs away. Phoebe looks at the word dirt and begins to dig. She says this isn't a farm, it's a trap, as we see a big black cloud over the mountains. And the next set of scenes is the ending. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so we just had that big action sequence through the town, the last set of scenes. So if we're still keeping the same kind of, you know, pacing as the first two movies, you know, I don't want to say it's a mole, but it's like a it's like in the first one after the firehouse explodes, and in the second one after the Ghostbusters get arrested, there's like this pause in the big action before the finale. Uh, but just because it's a pause in action doesn't mean that there's nothing going on. I mean, it just pauses to kind of give you what you need story-wise to kind of wrap everything up so we can just have, you know, pure action in the next set of scenes. Um, it was nice to see Ray's occult bookstore kind of make its return from the Ghostbusters 2, which is really, I think, the only reference or, or really carryover from the second movie that we got. Um, now, I would have loved to, to have seen a little more interaction on the phone between Phoebe and Ray. You know, maybe if I'm nitpicking, you know, maybe a better explanation on why Ray would have just written Egon off, Egon off like that. But, you know, I mean, now I know you wanted to, to keep the fact that they were going to show up at the end somewhat of a surprise. But, I mean, come on. I mean, was that was that something nobody was expecting? I mean, all right, Mike, you just watched this movie for the first time ever. Did you expect them to come back at the end? I mean, it was kind of something that you were like, yeah, that's probably going to happen, right? Yeah, I... I did expect it, but I'm also glad that it was saved. Um, yeah, I'm glad they did it in the way that they did, where you just get you just get Aykroyd on the phone there, and then you kind of wonder at that point, oh, is this just like a little cameo? Because yeah, you know, I saw 2016, brother, and that was that was cameo heaven. So like, I was kind of wondering if they would be able to get. Look, I went into the movie blind. I was kind of wondering if they were going to be able to get those three back. Especially because Bill Murray in the past, until recently, has just been so against doing anything yeah. that reprises his old characters. So uh, a mixed bag. I would say I was surprised they got them to actually do it, though. Okay, well then maybe I'm wrong. You know, I just thought maybe having Phoebe and Ego or Phoebe and Ray talk a little bit more. Um, you know, but that might have ruined a surprise. But like I said, you know, I, I you know, maybe people like you said, you were surprised that they came back. So. Um, anyway, the blow up between Phoebe and Callie, I thought was fucking clinic in acting. I mean, Carrie Coon and McKenna Grace were absolutely phenomenal there, uh, like a mother daughter relationship to a T. Uh, just fantastic acting there. Um, the Walmart scene, look, Paul Rudd is phenomenal. You know, obviously this mirrors the Rick or Moranis, Lewis Tuttle, you know, in his insurance client party from the first one where the terror dogs like in the laundry room. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the same beats there. Um, I could have personally done without the mini Stay Puff Kid things, though. I mean, it did have a lot of Gremlin vibes, though. So I can definitely see where it would be like tempting to put it in and have a lot of younger kids like it. Um, just me personally, I think it was a little too light for me. Um, but like I said, you know, but I really love Gremlins and that's kind of the same thing. So, you know, what do I know? Um, the Terror Dog looked, uh, the Terror Dog, I thought, looked wow. Like I thought, like I said earlier, I was so glad that they decided to go back to the practical puppet for most of the scene too. Like, and shout out J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson himself as Evor Shandor. Um, 
two-time DGOT veteran with this and, and Jennifer's body, uh, was also in Juno, which I'm sure is why I was in this movie. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is, you know, that there's actual photos of Carrie Coon from her childhood and adolescence that were used on the board that, you know, Egon used to track Callie's growth over the years when she discovers the lab. Um, a nice moment that maybe could have lingered along a little bit longer, you know, uh, since, since it was kind of the backbone of this movie's overall plot, you know, kind of before the gatekeeper terror dog possessed her. But anyway, great group of scenes to me leading to what will be a hell of an ending. Yeah, I was going to say, this is such a great lead in to the final set of scenes. Like you get everything out of it that you want. I love, <laughs> I love this phone call with Phoebe and Ray. Like, I think this is exactly the kind of nostalgia callback that I'm looking for where you still get that character, but he's much older. He's a little, um, he's a little not disinterested, but, uh, he's a little disenfranchised. He doesn't want anything to really do with this ghost busting thing until he said, until she says who she is and then has to hang up. And not, I think clearly he's interested at that point, but he kind of has to, you know, I think he realizes right there, if the granddaughter is calling then Egon must've been right. Uh, and I think, again, when you don't know that we don't know for sure that they're going to be in the end of the movie, I think that's a really nice touch and it would have been a really sad way to kind of end it. So I understand what you're saying with, you know, maybe getting a little more out of that, but I don't know. I, I think the phone call was really nice. This man, this set of scenes is such like so much good mother daughter stuff. Like you get, you get Callie and Phoebe really just. Again, in the last set of scenes, she's like, I wish she would, you know, just almost asking her to be normal without actually saying it, uh, ask her to get in trouble, you know, and here she is getting in trouble, just like you asked for, mom, you know, like I think, uh, but I love the way Phoebe stands up for herself to the sheriff about these, you know, these ghost catching tools. Like I think, you know, her acting, man, I cannot say enough about McKenna Grace as the main character here. Um, yeah, man, I so much in this set of scenes. Look, I think the the uh, dog looks great. I think a lot of the effects look great. I will say, I am a mixed bag on the Marshmallow Puff Man. <laughs> like, all these little Marshmallow Puff Mini guys. Because, okay, I get that it's a great callback to the first movie. Like, just this franchise. Like, when I think of this franchise, that's one of the main things I think of is the giant Marshmallow Man. But, like you said, Brian, it was almost like Minions, not Gremlins, like I like the movie, like the Minions movies, uh, which I'm not a big fan of, and I don't think really work for Ghostbusters. Um, I mean, it would have been a fun little one-off, but we get them later, and we get like a billion of them in this Walmart. But Paul Rudd is great, and the yeah. the so the original one-on-one -on -one interaction with the the very first one that we see. I think that's cute enough and did enough without all these little ones running around everywhere. So I think it was maybe just a little bit overkill. I could take it or leave it as well. Um, or maybe show them just at the end and not both places. Just yeah. have maybe a bag of state puff marshmallows. As yeah. Reference well, maybe just like one bag, like, like, yeah. like one bag, but there's so many of them here, but um, yeah, really nice scene here where Callie's kind of discovering that her dad did care about her. Did keep track of her, did stay interested, but, you know, that that would be a mixed bag of feelings if I were her because you would have rather just had him around, but this is this scene does a good job right before she becomes 
not possessed, but gets kind of taken over here. It does a really good job of like connecting the dots and letting almost letting you know without saying it that she's starting to see what he was saying and forgive him. Um, and I think, man, really touching part of this set of scenes. That's all I had. Really, really good set of scenes. I love the way it sets the floor here for our ending, which, spoiler, I just fucking love this ending. Yeah, I mean, um, so seeing Ray when she calls the Ghostbusters number, that's a great, another great wrestling nostalgia, even more so than seeing Janine earlier. Um, I liked the Stay Puft Marshmallows coming to life. Like, because at first it's, you think it's just the one, then it turns out, oh shit, the whole bag came alive. Uh, I thought that was, that was, that was okay. Um, and like I said earlier, it does a good job of blending nostalgia with the new, like in the original, obviously you just have the one Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and he's huge. This one, you got a shit ton of them, but they're tiny. So I thought that was cool. Um, also like that, that scene took place in a Walmart, like oftentimes in movies, um, you get just like a generic store. This one's an actual Walmart and you get a good look. Like it looks like an actual Walmart. So another thing is a lot of movies, if you, if it's supposed to be a real store, you're like, man, I've been in a store. and it look nothing like that. This looks like an actual Walmart. Um, and I know that there was a you know promotional deal with Walmart for the release of the movie and the promotion and everything. That's fine. But I don't know. That was just cool. Um, you got some good story development carried by strong chemistry and acting from the kid actors here, man. They carried it. We've shit on child actors yeah. uh, a lot on this show, and sometimes maybe unfairly. I don't know, but if you're going to be in the spotlight, you got to live up to the part. And man, they all did. They carried their weight. They did great. Um, I love Callie finding the pictures. Like uh, that was a great feel good moment. And, you know, it's showing that Egon didn't just abandon her. He clearly cared. He just had a purpose and he had to do it. So I like that. And then, you know, we get a great callback call here uh, to the original Zool. Fantastic. Love that as well. Um, so just, you know, like Mike said, it really ramps us up for a great ending. And this, uh, the, this set of scenes and the last set of scenes are just so strong. And I, I love it. All right, guys, here's the ending. The four go down the chute and get dressed as the Ghostbusters, and Trevor sneaks a peek at Lucky. Phoebe says the silos act as capacitors, and they can power hundreds of traps. There has to be a gatekeeper and keymaster, two human souls. Callie walks up on Gruberson, who runs to her. I like your eyes, he says, and they begin to kiss and fall to the ground. The crew is at the police station, and they get their Ghostbuster wagon back, and Phoebe sees the proton pack locked away. Podcast opens a trap and lets the metal muncher out who eats the iron bars and escapes. They load the equipment up and drive away. They head to the mountains and see their mom and Gruberson walking up these steps and hold their hands to the sky. Electricity strikes them and they turn into terror dogs. Gozer emerges out the earth. Evo Shandor stands up and tells her he has built this temple for her so that you might return to earth and that together we can rule the world as she rips him in half. Ghosts continue to attack the town folk. Phoebe walks out and begins to tell Gozer jokes. The race car trap drives up on the steps, and Gozer asks Phoebe if she's come to offer herself in sacrifice. Are you prepared to die? The trap now catches the terror dog, and Callie rolls down the steps. They load all up in the wagon and drive away. Callie wakes up frazzled, and they tell her what she's been through. She tells Phoebe about the basement and a plan, but Phoebe already knows. 
the Gary Terror dog is chasing after the uh, trap car, and Phoebe shoots the dog with the proton pack. The RC car makes it into the wagon, and Trevor gets them home. All the clouds now circle the farm. Gozer emerges from the cornfield, and Phoebe says, pull the lever. The silos kick on, and Lucky shoots Gozer with the proton pack. Trevor's pack is getting attacked by the marshmallow men. Mom hits the pedal, and the dirt traps go to kick on, but the silos give out. Lucky is snatched onto the dirt. Gozer takes the trap and breaks it, and Lucky is now a terror dog. Things are looking grim until Peter, Ray, and Winston show up to save them. Hey, Flattop, have you missed us? Ray now introduces themselves like police officers and tells them to depart this world immediately. Gozer asks, are you a god? Winston says they're all gods. Playtime's over, let's toast this muffin, Winston says, and they all shoot Gozer. The three stream isn't strong enough, though, and Gozer uncrosses them. Gozer and the dogs approach the three, and Phoebe blasts Gozer with a proton pack. The two duel epically, and the ghost of Egon appears now and grabs Phoebe and helps her shoot. The other three shoot Gozer now, and Podcast kills off the Marshmallow Men. All four streams cross, and the guys take a look over at Egon. Trevor shoots the silos, and the dirt traps kick on, and Callie hits the pedal. Gozer and all the souls are being trapped into the ground. Peter says, I thought you might turn up, and Ray apologizes. Winston says, I miss you, my friend. Callie hugs Phoebe tightly, and Peter approaches and says, Callie has a weird last name. Let's go inside and have cocoa. Some will have rum in it. Trevor gets Gruberson free, who says his hands hurt from galloping. Trevor now gets lucky free. Gruberson says he's bleeding, and Callie says he headbutted a park bench. Podcast exits the wagon, and he invites Ray on his podcast. Ray says it found his voice on episode 46. Trevor is embraced by Egon, and so is Phoebe. Egon and Callie now hug, and she begins to cry. The whole group watch as we now see Egon begin to fade away. And it says, For Harold on screen. We're back in New York now, and the Ghostbusters theme plays as the Ghostbusters name and logo appear in end credits roll. mid credit scene now with Sigourney Weaver shock-testing Bill Murray, and he admits he marked the cards after he keeps getting them right. More credits, and now we see a woman giving Egon a coin from the World's Fair. He says he shouldn't take it. He might not make it back, and they hug. Winston is with Janine now at his business, who is holding the coin. Egon was the brains. Ray was the heart. Peter just kept it cool. And Winston says he was the sex appeal, and they laugh. She says he's done very well for himself. I don't do it for me. I do it for my kids to be an example of what's possible. She asks if he still covers Ray's rent at the bookshop, as we see Winston in the old fire department. He talks of growing his business. He says, I may be a businessman, but I'll always be a ghostbuster, as we now see the wagon being driven back into the fire department and the meter signaling ghost activity kicks on. All right, Brian, what do you think about the ending? I'm sure you, you, you shed a few tears, if I were to guess. <laughs> <laughs> just what just what a fucking ending. I mean, look, you get Olivia Wilde as Gozer, and like, where the hell did that come from? I mean, she's not even credited, but you immediately recognize her. I mean, I don't know where that came from, but it was definitely welcome. And holy shit, you get to pick a best kill, and it better be fucking her ripping apart Eivor Shandor, because that was so badass. Um, and, and besides the sudden abrupt appearance of the OG Ghostbusters, like, where did they fucking come from? Do they have other Ghostbusters, or do they have another Ecto from Part 2? Uh, is it the same car? Did they take a taxi? I need to know these kind of things. But obviously, this whole sequence with them was just such a great moment in tribute um you know there's more easter eggs i mean you get lewis tully's 
uh, head reading thing that they use in the first one. Um, some of these ghosts definitely fit in with the other movies, uh, especially part two. Um, the eyeball ghost from the old cartoon cameo there. Um, podcast looking like Ray after the Stay Puffed explosion, you know, at the end. Um, but then you get these, like, just these heartfelt moments. Like, you know, Peter's dry, but but is understated. I thought you might show up. You know, that that seems to kind of, you know, be an acknowledgement of Bill Murray's and, and Harold, Harold Ramis's estrangement, which, you know, obviously they reconciled on David uh, Ramis's deathbed, apparently. But, you know, and, and you, you said it, and if you didn't say it, I was going to, but I love his fucking line where he goes, we're going to have cocoa inside. Some of us will have rum in it. I don't know. It just, it sounded, it's, it was just, uh, I love it. Um, the last thing. So Bob Gunton actually played Egon in the opening scene, but for his appearance in the finale, Harold Ramis's likeness was like aged and recreated with, with CG, you know, based on clips and, and photos from the first two movies. But um, these images were, were then digitally pasted onto Gunton and Ivan Reitman, who played out that last scene as, as uh, Egon Spengler. Um, special permission was obtained from Ramis's children, obviously, to create the effect. Um, they called the finished scene so satisfying. Uh, they could have done him as this jolly Santa type, they said. Uh, but that wouldn't have been true to the character. He was in great shape, nice and trim. My dad would have loved Jason uh, and, and everything that he did. And they also said in an interview, or Jason also said in an interview, that his father cried tears of joy when he saw the film's first cut. So obviously he and obviously he passed away not too long after this released, but it's such a great way to say goodbye to Harold too. Um, my only complaint is that this mid credit scene and this post credit scene should have been in the movie and not extra scenes. I mean, so many people I think missed those and you know, I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't, you know, why you would not end the movie with that. It just, it makes no sense to me, but anyway, this movie is just, this movie just makes me happy. I think it's just the best way to describe it. Like it just makes me happy. Go ahead. Yeah. I love, so we're off the bat. I love that they go full ghostbusters. Get up. Like if I didn't get that, I would have been a little upset. Like you almost knew it was coming, but like just to cut, co- you know, to have that cosplay there. Love it. I think it worked really, really well. Uh, so, so something else I like, and I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I love that they kind of let, Phoebe be the one that defeats Gozer and and everything else. Like they kind of, like yes, the original three are there and they are a big presence and they help. But I kind of like that they basically let Phoebe almost do it not alone, but like she's the big force behind. While you know why they're d- defeated, I I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't shocked isn't the right word, but I was definitely. I was pleasantly surprised that you get the OG3 here. Um, I think it worked so well, man, to finally just really, really connect these two movies, I think, was awesome. Uh, Bill Murray is as funny as fucking ever, by the way. Just his little one-liners cracked me up. I think he's awesome. Um, And again, you get this digital put-together version of Harold Ramis, and it is awesome. Like, I think it looks really, really good. And talk about some tearjerker moments here, man. When they're working together, Phoebe and him, to, you know, on this gun, to to defeat the evil. Golly, man. Just so heartwarming. I love all the the hugs he gives his grandkids and then finally gives that 
so such satisfying hug to Callie. Like, what an awesome way to kind of wrap up that part of this story. So we can all kind of, if there is another one, which I don't know, but if there is another one, we, which I'm pretty sure there will be because, you know, money talks. But if there is another one, man, we can finally have the thought of Egon be a happy one and not necessarily a sad one. Like, we finally have pieced together these things. I love it. Shout out to Olivia Wilde. She's fantastic. Oh, my God. Like, yes. I honestly didn't realize it until I looked up the cast. And that's it's, true. And it's not even, yeah, she's I not mean, even credited, I don't think, as far as I know. But, man, it's just uh, great. Paul Rudd's, li- <laughs> Paul Rudd's line about how his hands hurt from uh, from uh, crawling <laughs> around or whatever. That was, yeah, from galloping. That was the right line. <laughs> uh, that was fantastic. Great job. Um, no, I again, I missed the first time around. I missed this, these next two scenes. Like, I did not know they were even there because, like, I'm not gonna lie. Once the credits start, man, I'm 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 kind of out the game, man. I'm not a Marvel guy. I don't stay around for the credits. Uh, so I had to kind of go back and, and, I mean, they were nice little nods just to the past, a way to kind of show up those characters if we don't get another film. But all in all, this is such an awesome ending. I think everything about it is damn near perfect. They wrap up the stories real nice. All the effects look phenomenal. Just just a perfect way to put a bow on the story. If this is the last one we get, I think they did a great job. Yeah. Um, so I got to start off this set of scenes with some criticism. There's not been any of it so far from me in this episode, but there's a huge gap in logic here. Like when the kids are trying to get the shit out of the, you know, holding cell there and they free Muncher. Why did Muncher have to chew through the bars, but then Muncher could just go straight through the ceiling? Well, that would have been so funny if he just went through the ceiling and right? they still couldn't get in there. That would have been funny, but like, that, would have been you know, that was his plan was let, let's free Muncher so he can eat through the bars so we can get in there. But then as soon as Muncher was out, just went straight up through the ceiling. That made no sense. But that would have been anyway. a great gag. Great gag. Um, and also, I can tell you from experience, Falling down those stairs definitely left a mark. <laughs> um, f- fuck stairs. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, chills when the OG Ghostbusters showed up. Like, that was a big holy shit moment. And then the the Spengler hologram. Yeah, you you know, fighting back some tears there. Getting a little choked up. Someone's cutting onions. Gr- good shit there. I mean, overall, just it's a great ending. I, I thought that. There was a lot of, uh, like, it just, it made sense. You get the feel good. You get some funny moments. You get some comedy. You get some nostalgia mixed in with the new. Uh, the new and old work together to, to conquer it. It was just fantastic. Uh, I think it was made even better by the original theme and logo closing us out. That was great. Now, as far as the uh, the post-credit, the mid-credit, post-credit scenes, I don't, I get what you're saying, Brian, like, because a lot of people missed them, but especially the mid credit scene. I don't, I'm glad it wasn't in the movie because it didn't really add anything other than just a, Oh yeah. The, you know, the, the shock therapy or whatever with the cards, like it was a cool little nod to the original, but it didn't add anything. Now the, the in credit scene, of course, giving us hints of what we could expect with the next. Sure. But yeah. um, I'm, I'm fine with it just the way it is. And I was going to say, as you were giving yours, I mean, come on, man. We're we're deep in the Marvel trenches. We should know better than to turn off the credits. I I could be watching 
uh, a 30 minute television show <laughs> and I'm going to watch the credits just because I don't know if I'm missing something. So, but uh, no, overall uh, it's a, it's a fantastic ending to a great movie. Now also side note, you mentioned Olivia Wilde. Um, you know, she was uncredited for this role, but I've found, you know, she was in the movie year one. I did not realize that Harold Ramis wrote and directed the movie year one with Jack Black and Michael Sarah. Yes. That's an underrated comedy. I didn't realize that he wrote that. So, and she was in it. So that's kind of a cool little tie in there. Dude, Harold Ramis wrote so many damn good, com- like stuff. Obviously, that you couldn't really make. Wasn't he in? Uh, was it Road Trip or Euro Trip where he makes a little cameo and he like wrote and directed Meatballs? I mean, shit. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. he's done some good. All he's his National few, Lampoon's he's movies. Cam- I say he's got a few cameos in a couple things. I don't remember if it's Van Wilder or another movie, but he's in one of those. Yeah, he's like the dad in one of them, and I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, I'm just going to touch on the uh, mid-credit and post-credit scenes. I agree, Brian. I wish I don't know if I want him in the movie, but maybe a little sooner because I'm like Mike. Once the movie's over, I'm kind of out because I kept seeing like in the IMDb cast like Sigourney Weaver's in the movie. Like, but where the fuck was she at? So, uh, so I (laughs) I, I fast forwarded through the credits. I saw. I was like, well. You know, it was nice to see, you know, that little scene. I will, it was cool. I, I will agree with, with Dustin. And so if I could backtrack, I'll say, all right, I definitely at least want the post credit scene with Winston and that whole that whole thing at the end. I think that would have been great. But you're right. The Sigourney Weaver part, I think that would have it was fine where it was at. I think that, that's the way it probably should have been. Brian, my biggest takeaway is these two would never make it getting through the MCU. Uh, I have no <laughs> desire. They're not built there. for the post credit scenes, fam. Good. Look, I, I don't ever plan on it, man. Unless I ha- unless somebody pays me to do it, I'm good. There's a lot of movies. The, the movies are too long. Sitting there for damn near three and a half hours and shit. I got time yep. for that. There's Definitely not a single not one of the movies hour. three and a half hours long. You know what <laughs> I mean? Really you know what I mean? That long though, don't no, they're not. They're superheroes. <laughs> pew, pew 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 fighting pew pew. That is Star Wars, but okay. Same thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, any more final oh, thoughts God. on the ending? Before we just jump into no- social media. Yeah, same nerdy shit. Star Wars and Marvel, same nerdy shit. <laughs> oh my gosh! Right. You watch grown men and man panties oiled up and grabbing each other. Oh, you draw the line at superheroes. <laughs> yeah, I do, but I admit that that's nerdy. I admit it. <laughs> All right. You also watch that, so I there do. we go. I don't yeah. discriminate with my nerd shit. <laughs> I don't either. That's why I don't care. I'm just saying, nerds, don't don't peer pressure me into watching or trying to like it. So I'm asking. Fucking nerds. We're not. We're just making fun of you for not liking, you know, some of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah, lame. <laughs> I'm going to read Brian's favorite comment of the night off Facebook. Kevin Potoff said the one with the ladies was 1,000 times better. The best part was seeing the words, the end. And I, I have to believe that that was just a troll. Uh, and Brian had to clap back. And Yeah, first of all, they never wrote the end in, in the movie, by the way. There was never the end on there. Sorry. And Brian Brian Kevin, had to clap Kevin, back. This may be the worst take you've ever had in your life. I award you no points. May God have mercy <laughs> on your soul. <laughs> I mean, I haven't even seen the... Kevin, brother. Uh, this is a really good question from Sean. Uh, absolutely wonderful movie. My only question is, did they use the original cast effectively? Or could the, or could the movie have done well without them? Personally, I'm. This is just from me watching the first and the second one as just a casual. I think they did a great job. I mean, it, I felt like I knew it was about to happen. Honestly, I knew that they were about to appear on screen, but I think they did a great job with it. In my opinion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. 
100%. I would have been disappointed if they hadn't been in it at least somewhere. Yeah, that would yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Randy Smith. I'm disappointed oh, that Rick Moranis wasn't in it. So, I mean, like, it, it bothered me Rick Moranis wasn't in it. But, I mean, I understand why it wasn't. But, like, you know. He didn't do, he didn't do anything anymore, right? Exactly. You know, so yeah. I get it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, like I mentioned, I think it just did a great job of blending the nostalgia with the new. Um, they didn't overdo it. If they if they would have overdone it and had yeah, yeah. one of them there holding their hands the whole time and showing them how to be Ghostbusters, that would have been overkill. But it was it was well done. Uh, the next tweet we have is from Randy Smith. Great movie. All three movies in this franchise are amazing. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2016 should be erased from existence. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kevin Scanlon. I'm going to hurt Brian's feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my birthday. Shut the fuck up, Dustin. <laughs> Kevin Scanlon commented, excellent movie. You don't get many great sequels 32 years after the last installment. Can't wait to hear Nico shit on it. Come on, man. What, why? Why are you gonna say that? <laughs> hey, you can't blame him for thinking it. You can't. <laughs> yeah, but he said it. I can't blame him. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> He said it. He. Yeah. He. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Okay. Never mind. I was gonna say he did say it because of some evidence in the past. I, mean, I gave it a six. I mean, I didn't shit on it. It's not like I gave it a two point five hashtag Cloverfield. But um, buddy, that's low. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> As Kevin Bacon would say, "Fuck you!" <laughs> I'm so sorry I missed that review. Great movie. <laughs> hey guys, y'all remember when Brian picked Army of the Dead and made us watch that? Oh my god! I do. I do. It's an hour twenty six. Let's let's move on. All right, all right. Charles Reed, big fan of the show. He commented, "Elite movie." My question for the crew: Knowing that the final scene shows Ecto One back in in New York with Winston, where can the story realistically go? Will there be four movies, one from each original Ghostbusters family perspective? I am not going to answer that because I do not know this stuff as well, so I'm going to let uh, the experts handle it. Go ahead, Brian. I, I am pretty 100% sure that it's going to be back in New York. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be a little bit of a time jump. Da uh, Ivan Reitman has uh, – or not Ivan Reitman, Lord. Jason Reitman has uh, has said that you know people have, have, have questioned why – Ghostbusters 2 wasn't brought up a whole lot in this. He's made a comment. Well, hey, you never know. You may see Vigo back, you know, from Ghostbusters 2. But I think the whole, the end credit scene where it's showing the containment unit, it's blinking red. I think that, I think it's going to be failing. I've read that somewhere that, that that was maybe a thought for the for this movie, that that was going to be failing. And so all the ghosts were going to be getting out. And so obviously there was going to be a need for the for the for the ghostbusters again so I, I i definitely think it's going back to new york though yeah i tend to agree i think that we're going to back to new york and then it'll end up to where they have to call upon phoebe uh for her help um since she was so good and instrumental in helping contain it in uh bfe where they were in the wop wops um so uh you know i think that they they call upon the new wave to come to new york and help out Oh, for sure, and I think Winston. I think Winston yeah, I will play. That. I think Winston will play the whole mentor, yeah. uh, the old ghost. I yeah. think you know maybe I'm sure Ackroyd will come back and just for a little minute. Maybe him and Winston will help do that. There was a cartoon called the uh, Extreme Ghostbusters that that kind of did that with the real Ghostbusters cartoon. So it's like along those same lines. I think is what they're going to be. All right, and that was knockout Instagram real quick. Uh, Schmoopy, Jennifer Kramer, big fan of the show. Shout out to her. She commented, I love those little suicidal marshmallows. 
<laughs> to be honest, that's one of the scenes I really didn't care for the most. Uh, just I'll get into that later, though. Uh, real Matt Sears coming. I'll take a worthy sequel over a reboot any day of the week. And this one was worthy. Just wish they made it before Ramus died. They left in a good place to moving forward. I'd like to see Winston get his due. And the last comment we have is from Jesse Crafts. She's good. Here we go. Been waiting for this one with a fire emoji. So good choice, Brian. Well, let me just say this, Matt. I don't think that you get as good of a movie if Ramus wasn't dead and they hadn't have that to play on. I mean, I don't think that this, mm-hmm. I don't think this would have been the same thing at all. I think it would have just been another, uh, another sequel that maybe I would have loved, but it wouldn't be as great as this one is. Yeah, I, I agree because, uh, you know, had he been alive and been in it and just been estranged, you wouldn't get that yeah. choked up feeling as seeing the hologram and seeing him, you know, that that's what made it so special to me. I'm not the Ghostbusters expert, so I can't really comment. <laughs> no, I agree with you guys. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that sounds bad coming up. No, I agree with you, Brian and Dustin. Like, that comes across as, like, wording it poorly to say right. you get a better right. movie. But I know exactly what you mean. Like, the story is just a little bit better there because of it. Unfortunately, we don't – I yeah, mean, I would just, rather have Harold Ramis around. But, right. <laughs> you know. All right, guys, let's jump over to fun facts. Uh, Brian, Dustin, if you have any, I don't have any for tonight. And Money Mike's back to drop that budget on us. I only have three. You want me to go ahead and go? Yeah, go for it. Um, (laughs) All right, so a a deep cut one here. Uh, Finn Wolfhart is the nephew of former child actor uh, Hadley Kay, who had a small role in Meatballs, a movie which Ivan Reitman directed and was written by Harold Ramis with Bill Murray as one of the main actors. And the other one is, uh, this is the sixth time we kind of touched on this earlier that uh, Dan Aykroyd has played the character of Dr. Stance. The, uh, the other five are Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, Casper, and the video game version uh, of Ghostbusters, and then Planet Coaster, which is a DLC for, uh, for Ghostbusters as well. So that was it. Okay. I got just a couple. I think you may have said this one earlier, but um, when Callie discovers all the photos down in the basement, those were actual child, uh, childhood photos of Carrie Coon. Um, so that was kind of cool. The local cinema in town there is playing um, Ivan Reitman's Cannibal Girls movie uh, from 1973. And that movie is also being played at a New York theater during Ghostbusters 2. So that's kind of a cool tie in there. Uh, and last one I have is that Finn Wolfhard did not know that he was auditioning for this movie. The audition sides were purposely kept generic and vague as the movie was developed in secret. Ah, Okay. All right, so this movie cost a whopping $75 million to make, and the box office for it was $204.4 million, which is like blew the 2016 remake boot out of the water. So, remake, remake. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to say, I, I think we'll get a sequel. Question mark? I, uh, yeah, they're, they're writing it now, or they're doing it now, I think. Yeah. All right, there we go, baby. That's what I'm talking about. I'm actually going to see this one in the theater instead of waiting. There we go. All righty, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, who wants to kick us off? Do we want to read Kevin and Shan's stuff first, maybe? or? Yeah, I'll go ahead and read that. So, uh, Shan commented, Saw the movie opening weekend, and I've watched it easily a dozen times since and love it every single time. Here's looking to the next installment, 9.75. So high high praises there from Shan. 
Um, Kevin said, I wasn't sure what to expect from a sequel from Ghostbusters, much less one that released 32 years after the second, but I ended up thoroughly enjoying this one. The cast is great up and down the board. The story is well put together. It feels like a direct sequel to the OG, and it kept me interested throughout. I have very minor nitpicks, but none of them really hampered the movie for me. While I can't give it a 10 like I would for the first, the movie still gets a 9.25 for me. Great pick, man. All righty. Anybody want to go next? You want me to just go ahead and get mine out of the way? I'll just go ahead and go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Favorite kill. I think we agree. I agree with you, Brian. Evo Shandor getting ripped in half. That was really cool. Uh, Least favorite, I guess, Egon at the beginning with the terror dog. I I really couldn't think of anything else. And I didn't write anything tonight because I really didn't know what to say because this movie is made well. It looks good. The acting is great. The cast is great. I'm just not a huge fan. I'm just not super invested in the source material, you would say. Uh, I got a weird reference in my own mind, which I highly doubt that it has any connection. But when Phoebe and Gozer battle at the end, it really reminded me of, uh, here here comes my nerd talk, of Dragon Ball Z when Gohan kills Cell and Goku in, in the afterlife is telling him to fight now and all that. And that's when Vegeta helps kill him. I don't know, it made me think about that. So there's my nerdy Asian uh, reference of the night. Do not call me a fucking nerd. Again, ever again. No. Hey, fuck you. I'll call you now if I want to. Uh, but anywho, uh, I love Finn Wolfhard. Love Stranger Things. Think he was great. McKenna Grace. Uh, Haunting of Hill House. Love her and that. I just love the cast. Love Paul Rudd. Obviously, think he was great. Brought some great humor. Um, I, I really, the ending was great. I think the ending was fantastic. It even gave me, like, like I said, the goose pimples. Even choked me up a little bit seeing them watch Egon, you know, help his granddaughter. But like I said, I was just, I feel like the movie was a little too long in my opinion, but that's just me not being invested in the material mostly. But I did give it a higher rating than the first one just because the ending was so great. I was more invested. I'm, I'm just not a big fan of that marshmallow scene at the end in the first one. Like, I just, I'm not a fan of that really. I love this ending. I gave it a six and a half, Brian. Sorry, I love you. Okay, that's better than, <laughs> better than I thought. Y'all, y'all really thought I was gonna give me like a three or something. Y'all I, suck. I don't know, man. We were wondering. I mean, I mean, it's not like a six and a half is a going review. Okay, I'll go real quick. I'll let the two bigger Ghostbusters fans go last. So, yeah, my favorite kill, same as everyone else. I don't really have a least favorite kill. Um, yeah, man, I don't really think there's like a bad kill in this movie. Okay, so I love this movie. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Um, again, I, I said it earlier. This has taken the place as my favorite movie in this franchise. Very minor nitpicks. It drags a little bit in the runtime. Not much. Not enough to make me lose my interest. And I wish there was some of that adult humor you get in the first one from Murray and Aykroyd. I wish that was there. I wish it was maybe a little bit scarier. Uh, it may have like a more serious tone, but it doesn't have that like terror that I think you get in a few one or one or two scenes of the original. But I mean, that's, I'm talking like minor nitpicks, man. I'm grasping at straws here, thoroughly entertained, adding it to my permanent watch rotation. Uh, I think the cast is great. I think the movie looks awesome. It's shot great. The effects are awesome. So all that being said, I gave this movie the same as, uh, member of our crew here, Kevin, 
Hey, you, you know what kind of, of, I mean, that's a great glowing review from Mike to say a two hour long movie kept his attention the whole time. <laughs> Man, if it had been Titanic, it would have been a 10. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't, even I don't give Titanic a 10. Nine point, uh, 9.95. Jesus. <laughs> I'll go ahead and go so you can go last, Brian, since it's your pick. Um, so, yeah, Kills Go, I mean, this isn't really a Kills franchise. So, um, same, same as Mike and Nico for the favorite, and I didn't really have a least favorite either, I guess. Egon, I don't know. But, um, yeah, this movie is fantastic. It is a breath of fresh air into the franchise. Uh, the casting was phenomenal. Um, no real nitpicks other than the one uh gap in logic with muncher of what he can and can't eat through and go through that was weird um paul rudd fantastic um uh, mckenna uh grace fantastic I-, I love it i agree with you uh mike it's in the rotation like this is a movie that i seriously could put on any time of day any time of year and just enjoy um rewatchability factor is through the roof i've seen it uh four times now brian uh, watched it what was that like two months ago maybe like it hasn't been that long since i watched it the first time and i've watched it now four times i I love it so glowing review from me um i'm gonna go with a nine just a flat nine just because uh i've got a reputation to uphold as a pretty (laughs) strict judge (laughs) (laughs) okay fair enough uh, so, all right. So charming, you know, maybe not be a word that you'd associate with the, with the first two movies, but it's definitely one that I would use here. Um, it kind of, it wears its, its heart on its sleeve in much of the same way that my favorite Rocky movie does Balboa part six. Um, it, it, it wasn't what I was and honestly, probably not what anyone had grown up on Ghostbusters like, and had, you know, all of the, and still do real Ghostbusters toys. I mean, shit, my prized possession is probably my. 1984 still in the box firehouse playset, by the way. Um, but the fact, but, but the fact that it's, you know, not what we were expecting isn't a bad thing to me. Like it was a kick to the ass of a 30, I mean, hell almost 40 year old franchise now, you know, that like dozens that breathe life into it as, as well as paid re- re- respect to the past in a way that I'm not sure anyone else, but the son of the original director could have done, you know, bravo to Jason Reitman, Bravo to this entire cast and bravo to Sony for doing the right thing for a franchise. That's, you know, so beloved to me. Um, I gave this one a 9.75. Okay. So that gives us a composite score of 9.333 repeating and, uh, IMDb. Thanks a lot, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I think that's, that's Brian's fault. I thought IMDb he was going to give it a 10 for sure. I'm more Me surprised too. by that than my rating. IMDb <laughs> doesn't know their ass from a hole in the ground, so they gave it a 7.1 out of 13. Ah, oh, fuck them. They don't 173,000 reviews, so they don't know shit. They don't know anything unless they agree with us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Any final thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife? Brian, any final thoughts? Yeah, just like, you know, thank you guys for letting me do this. I mean, you yeah, know how much... Man. You know how much this this franchise means to me. I mean, when I was growing up, Star Trek was something that me and my dad shared. Uh, he he watched it, so if if I wanted to hang out with him, you know that's what was usually on TV. Um, and Ghostbusters is just something that me and my son share. So this franchise is, is special to me. But you know, like awesome, again, man. like I said, I, again, thanks for letting me ramble tonight. Of course, great pick, man. <laughs> Honest confession, 
Ghostbusters and this one's two of the most nervous I've ever been doing scene by scene. I can't even lie. Just because I didn't want to let Brian down. You did not let me down. You know, it, it made me so happy to hear you say when Ghostbusters ramble like ecto goggles and, and trap, you know, self PKE meter and shit like that. that was Bro, I had I had two different tabs up on my phone of the what the animals and all that shit was called and the equipment that you were like, I can't get this shit wrong. I'm so I'm so proud of you. All right, guys, I'm going to shout out our blood donors real quick, and we'll get out of here, and I'll, I'll announce our p- uh, pick for next week. Uh, thank you, blood donors. Really appreciate y'all. Camper Level Reoccurring, Clayton J., Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, and Sean Irwin. Our Camp Council Reoccurring, our Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home Podcast, Heather Smith, Kyla Denise from Australia, and Adrian Aiello. Our legendary blood donors, we have a film review to do for our Michael Azelson. And final guide donors are Christian Cunningham and Matt Sears. If you want to become a blood donor, just go to our website. We'd really appreciate any financial support. Uh, it truly means the world to yes, us that you help yes. us out. Uh, takes a big burden off of us and helps us make a great sounding podcast. Uh, speaking of blood donor reviews, next week we're going to finally, we're shooting to review brother Mike Azelson's pick of The Collector. That's another movie that we've had a lot of people request us to do, so I'm excited to do it. Uh, any final thoughts yeah, before we get out of here? Oh man, nope. Thanks you guys for thank you guys for being blood donors. I'm excited to re- re- review the collector. Very excited. Yeah, I, I need another watch. I've only seen it once, so I definitely need another watch. Yeah. Uh, thank you to all our fans and listeners. Leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. We really appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. Who are you gonna call? Who are you gonna Fuck. call? Just want to remind everybody.